I have and have always had a lot of curiosity. So if if you don't know something and you're curious, that's a really good combination, I think. Absolutely. As, yeah. as long as you're not afraid to let people know you don't know. Welcome to Surely You're Joking. I'm your host, Dr. Kevin Peter Hickerson. Today we are very honored to have an amazing guest, someone who I've looked up to my entire life, so I'm very excited to have this. He's currently starring in the show Horace and Pete, along with Louis C.K. and Steve Buscemi. It's a great show. Check it out. We'll talk about it later. Uh, he was also the host of Scientific American Frontiers for uh, many years on PBS. Uh, he also spoke at my graduation here at Caltech and uh, gave a very um, powerful message that I hope I'm doing my best to live throughout. He's an amazing actor and director and... Yeah, uh, winner of six Emmys, multiple Golden Globes, a director... Seven Emmys. Seven, <laughs> seven Emmys to be exact. But who's uh, counting? Nominated for an Oscar in supporting role in 2006 in The Aviator. Uh, as well as just a very amazing actor in general, comedic and dramatic, I think. And, of course, uh, what, uh, what I know you very well from, from the very beginnings, playing Hawkeye Pierce for the, on the hit TV show MASH for uh, absolutely amazing work. Uh, Professor Alan Alda. Yay! <laughs> I think I should go home now. <laughs> I, I can't top that. I'm sorry. It, it's okay. It's I was trying to help from here. You just get ready for this. You yeah. also joined by royalty, uh, uh, Griff Pippen here. So I just want to throw, <laughs> throw that in. Your uh, royalty? He, he, no, I don't. I don't know where he got that. But um, he's you, trying you, to find a credit. For you, you are you are hilariously brilliant. And and Horse and Pete, I watched the episode, the first episode, and it's just the character someone I feel like I could relate to and know. I think that Horace and Pete is one of the best things I've ever seen, and it's certainly one of the best things I've ever done or been part of. It was Everybody connected to that was so excited to be doing it. And I think we, all, we would all talk among ourselves, not just the actors, the crew. Every, we'd all talk. We'd say, how does Louis do this? He wrote it in a very short time. He wrote 10 one-act plays since August. Wow. <laughs> and this is now, uh, what, March or April? And he's doing that on top of, uh, he's doing Louis at the same time. And this. Well, I think he had done, finished with Louis, but, oh, okay. but, he, but, he, but you can't write it that fast. He could. He writes it from the inside of the characters. You know, he's not, it's not a mechanical comedy. It's not even a comedy, it's a play that occasionally gets hilarious. Yeah, right. it feel, that's yeah. what it feels like to watch it. Like you're you're out of play watching it. It's and really he did direct. He's in a scene where he's acting brilliantly. He's directing at the same time. He's thinking of camera shots. He goes off in the corner and rewrites a whole scene. He's really a brilliant guy. I was I'm very, very impressed having worked with him. Wow. Is there a lot of improv going on in that show? Um, um I, you know, I I saw two two scenes that were improvised really, really well by a couple of guys at the bar. Then I saw an episode, I think it's the 10th episode, where Amy Sedaris right. does this hilarious character in a really wonderful scene, very funny and very insightful. And I read that she improvised the whole thing. It's like a 10-minute scene. She improvised all the rehearsals, and all of the uh, takes that they did. Wow. Isn't that, I mean, when you see it, you think, this is brilliant writing. And it's mm -hmm. coming out of her, like, like off a, top of her a head. fountain, you know, a geyser. So one of the strange things about this show that, uh, is that it was a complete surprise to the fans. I mean, yeah. Louis just kind of said, oh, by the way, you can now download this. And how, how was that kept a secret? He, 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 when he was talking to us about, you know, before we even shot or, or sat down and read it, he said, please don't say anything to anybody. He said, I want it to be a surprise for the audience so they can enjoy it not knowing anything about it. And people have become so accustomed to seeing trailers and 
other, sometimes the trailer is, in fact, most of the time now, don't you get annoyed when you see a trailer where they tell you the whole movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So absolutely. then you go see I the movie, then yeah. the movie is a rerun. <laughs> you know, you're seeing a rerun of the movie, and it's not not that interesting. <laughs> it's usually the best parts of the movie. Yeah. I know you get it. I'm like, I saw that in the trailer. Right? I don't need to go to the movie anymore. I just saw it. There's but, also this, like, saturation point where they push a movie so hard for to get everyone to go in the opening night. You know, like all the everyone will go on every night show. You know, and, it's like and, putting it on television. Yeah, <laughs> it's that's it, what used to be a theater where you had time to go, and then you could go see it in a second run theater. Are you too young to know about second run theaters? I uh, know you had those when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but you, a movie would stay around. <laughs> yeah, see, they used to have these theaters where you'd go watch a movie. Have you been to one of those? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard of them. Um, I, I you saw didn't have to watch them on your iPhone. In those days. <laughs> <laughs> Nowadays, people go to them and then still watch on their iPhones. Not yeah, at all distracting. Yeah. But the audience was so accustomed to that, they wrote Louie and complained. They said, I don't know if I should uh, watch this or not. I don't know anything about it. Why don't you like give us a trailer or explain it? Tell us mm. what happens. And he said, "No, that's the the whole idea is you're supposed to have the pleasure of discovering it." Like people are afraid to invest time in this, and then they're like, "What is this about?" So everybody want to know everything from the get go now, which is kind of annoying. Yeah. Louis doing. Louis is the kind of guy that likes to revolutionize things. Everything from how he does his ticket sales or his comedy shows to something like this. And yeah. um, for for those listening who haven't seen the show, how would you describe your character? Well, I, I, it was interesting. Somebody watching it described it on Twitter in a way I hadn't even <laughs> thought of it, saying that he was raw and yet vulnerable because he's, uh, he's, he's like the meanest guy you ever met. But he, he feels like, a, like an injured animal. Yeah, kind of I like think that's <laughs> probably <laughs> underneath animal. the meanness. Yeah. And, I mean, you, you can hurt him, but when you hurt him, he bites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> I, I love I, it. I think the way I'd describe it is... Uh, he seemed like the opposite of you as a person, <laughs> which made well, it really incredible. Louis, to... Louis said to to my agent, you know, um, now I don't know if he's going to like this. It's got a lot of bad language in it. And my agent, I said, that's how he talks. <laughs> <laughs> We're just watching the piss hand speech. And, oh, uh, that, that one line when you just the kids come in and you say no mixed drinks, I think that sums he, up. Jimmy loved that. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm into the show now. Yeah. <laughs> That's all it took. Why? What did that mean to you? I mean, I, I'm a younger dude, but I I, f- I always feel like I'm older than I am, and all these like clubbing, all these music and 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 the EDM and stuff, and the and the what, people. What you have to ordering. tell me what EDM is? Oh, <laughs> electronic like, dance music. It oh, means something right. else yeah. to Kevin. It means yeah. what's yeah. it in science? I I heard oh, the term. I don't know what it means. What what is it? Electronic? Is that where so like basically, they songs at you? Is that they, it? they pawn it off as live music. There's a DJ. There's twenty thousand people like in in a giant theater, in Staples Center. And they sell out Staples Center, right? And and it's very frustrating as to I watch got, this one guy. To watch this one guy pushing a button on his laptop, pumping his fists. Oh well, that's important. And then they say it's it's live music, and he's live mixing, and they call it EDM, and it's the biggest music movement now, and all it's the biggest music festival. But it's all digital. Yeah, it's not like the old days where they'd back up the record. Well, <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's I think now there's a little, there might be a knob that represents a record. <laughs> so they, they still have little things you could buy with two knobs that look yeah. like records. And they Did get a million a night to do so, this. Do you know they Andy Samberg from off. SNL? He's a, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he does a great sketch of making fun of EDM music uh, called oh, When Does the Bass Drop? I recommend hilarious. you watch that one. It's so good. It's just uh, makes fun of the whole scene. And everything. It's funny. I'm so used to talking to scientists and asking them to explain technical terms like an understanding. <laughs> when you got to EDM, it just came naturally. What the hell is that? Well, <laughs> you're in luck because we also, I happen to study a thing called EDMs in science, but there it stands for electric dipole moment. Oh, I work yeah. on experiment. We're trying oh, to now I understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Way cooler than Steve Aoki. Yeah. So that there we're trying to find it for a neutron. So that's a yeah. that's a big feat. So, so when you say no mixed drinks to me, that just sounded like screw you to all this EDM to <laughs> these all these millennials. Yeah, to all these millennials. <laughs> exactly. Not, no, I'm not coming to cater to you. I'm not changing. Uh, this is how we do it around here. We don't do these fancy martinis. Get out yeah, of here. And then it turns out as you watch the show, I don't want to give anything away, but that sticking to tradition it represents n- not such a good thing. The traditions that they hew to turn out to be 
painful traditions. For, right. For all, it's, it's a, it's a, it's, I, I wonder, I got to talk to him and ask him how he learned what he knew about these people to fill uh, up. Louis? Yeah, 10, oh, yeah. ten one-act plays that grow and go deeper and deeper, and you find out stuff in the past that you didn't know in the beginning. When did he know all that stuff? I, I get the impression it was just like an improv for him. Yeah, and, and he wrote it all himself, right? He didn't yeah, have oh, any, yeah. That's amazing. There's so yeah, much depth to all the content, characters. A lot. Yeah. yeah. yeah when you, you ask him about when you ask him that, can you also ask him if he likes science? If he wants to be on the Oh, that would be good. Yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll, sure. I'll, I'll talk you up. <laughs> awesome. So you you heard me say something at the commencement. What was in 2002? Yeah, yeah that's when I graduated. And what did I say that got you interested? So you said to go and find something very difficult that in science and go out and explain it in a way that a million people will want to hear about it. And that's sort of what I'm trying to do with doing stand-up comedy. That's brilliant. I started doing, <laughs> started doing comedy. <laughs> oh so how many people do you have so far? Who so understand? far. We, <laughs> we've downloaded 10,000 episodes of this. But, you know, with, with, with uh, guests like you on here, we're going to keep going up. I, so well, I, we're going to hit a thousand. It, or a million at one point. Sorry. It was an ambitious task I laid out for everybody. If, if even a few, I said even a few of you can make it can make that a goal. A lot of people in the public will get smarter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think you're totally right. So, I'm so a lot of people ask you... why I do stand-up comedy when I'm working as a, as a scientist. Yeah. And that's part of the reason is because I found, you know, it's a lot easier to get people interested in stand-up comedy plus science than just the science by itself. It's interesting. So, I had, How do you incorporate science into stand-up comedy so that you try to carry out that uh, well, it, idea? It for depends, millions uh, of people. Yeah, well, uh-huh. it depends on the audience at the time. If I'm doing a show, it depends on the audience, and it depends on how drunk I am. But, right. uh, <laughs> you know, it, um, for a show so like, like this, you, you we have science a- guests on here with a major recent discovery, and we just, you know, we have at it with, I'm the only scientist in the group, and then normally Owen Benjamin's here, so we have three stand-up comedians, and just... The, the feedback we're getting is great. People love learning something at the same time that they're being entertained. And so. And do you guys learn science through this? Kind of. I mean, you <laughs> know. Well, you're yeah. in a great spot. You're the spot I was in on Scientific American Frontiers, which is to represent the person who doesn't know what they're talking about. So you can say, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I'm that guy in this podcast. I know nothing about He's science. not even pretending. That's just actually no, him. No, I never pretended either. I didn't <laughs> pretend to an ignorance I didn't have. I, it was my own real natural-born ignorance. Did you have and a science useful. degree? Uh, no, of before. course not. <laughs> <laughs> You're making me feel so inspired now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, had, I have and have always had a lot of curiosity. So if, if you don't know something and you're curious, that's a really good combination, I think. Absolutely. As, yeah. as long as you're not afraid to let people know you don't know. I mean, we, we hold back new knowledge by pretending we know, and we usually know things that aren't true. Yeah, that's a skill I learned from my, my uh, Ph.D. advisor. He was, he's a really brilliant guy, but he's so good at being honest when he doesn't know something. And it, you can great. just advance so much faster when you're just like, this I understand, that I don't. Yeah. And uh, you get problems solved a lot better that way. What's your field? Uh, nuclear physics. Oh, wonderful. Physics. Great. Yeah. Mostly stand-up comedy. Well, really, for, for Kevin's challenge is uh, yeah, not, not to infuse science into comedy, but to infuse comedy into his science speeches. Yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that's, yeah, that's good. That's good. Yeah. You know, it, it's interesting. <laughs> In the what's now known as the Allen Alda Center for Communicating Science, which is coming to Caltech today, starting a workshop here to work with scientists on helping them communicate better. Uh, We teach improvisation. That's the basis of what we do to help scientists communicate better. But we don't do it to make them comedians or performers. I mean, in fact, we make a big deal out of explaining to them, we're going to ask you to do improv games and exercises. But please don't think we're t- trying to turn you into performers. Because a lot of scientists don't want to be performers wow. and don't feel it's appropriate. Yeah. But what these th- games do is put them in touch with the other, other people, the people they're trying to communicate with. Put them in touch with them as people. That's brilliant. To increase the social capacity that they have so that they look at the audience while they're talking to them and they can tell if they're being understood. Mm-hmm. Or you know, even I, when they're writing. I think that's, that is actually giving me a lot of insight right now, To One of the things that makes comedy so hard is 
you can see whether it's working or not. Yeah. You, know, you don't get, yeah. you don't get on stage feedback. and go like, you know, well, screw those guys for not laughing. It's their, you can't do that. If they didn't <laughs> laugh, you weren't funny. It's yeah. that simple. Yeah. And when you give a science talk, that's not true. You know, people will clap at the end to be polite. They'll ask questions. Maybe some people even disagree or say they don't understand. But for the most part, you don't actually get very much feedback about whether you gave a good talk or not. And so I think comedy, like, is a very good tool for figuring out that's how, an to, interesting how, to idea. Read, how to actually get feedback. Yeah, that's very good. So when you do comedy about science, are you able to judge by the reaction to the comedy whether or not they're getting the science, or do you, are you still possibly leaving them in the dark? How do you know? Well, I try and, you know, my, my big goal is science literacy more than understanding uh -huh. all of science. So yeah. my what I'm trying to always get people to do is, uh, I'm hoping I can get the public to know how to read an article on something scientific. Yeah, Not necessarily an advanced one, but a news story. And then, like, figure out when they're being, they're getting something explained correctly to them and when something's not explained correctly to them. Because we, nowadays we live in a world where a lot of people spend their time arguing about just listen to the science, to the scientists, you know, which is a thing that happens with global warming all the mm -hmm. time. But in reality, what should what I hope the public can do is read the arguments being made that scientists are also seeing and get better at drawing their own conclusions. Yeah, from I think and one of the things that good communication will do is, first of all, help, and you're probably able to do this in your work, help people think more like scientists in terms of relying on evidence, looking for evidence, weighing evidence, and secondly, to get informed enough about what the scientists describe as what's happening in nature for instance, in global warming. Right. So I understand it well enough to be able to ask informed questions mm -hmm. rather than questions based on fear or misinformation. Right. Because, uh, you know, when somebody makes an argument about how many scientists believe this or what politicians believe, you don't actually know even if that's true, if yeah. it's explained not scientifically. Right. So you have to even be a critical thinker just to read the news nowadays. I mean, if you want to read a poll about, right. you know, who's winning in the, you know, in the polls or something, even that is a is a kind of scientific issue at this sure. point. Sure. Because it's a measurement like anything else. Well, so my jokes <clears throat> usually center around that, like the scientific way of thinking so much as a particular. That's great. That's uh, a real contribution. And, and usually I relate it in things that, uh, you know, people can all relate to. Like, I'm a father, so I do a lot of jokes about um, marriage and my children. Right. And really dirty jokes. Yeah, sometimes dirty. <laughs> what, what kind of jokes? Dirty jokes. Oh, dirty jokes. <laughs> yeah. Dirty jo Have you ever done stand-up? No. Just would never think about doing it? No. Um, I, I do. I, I give talks that go on for an hour that are stories that where I, I get as many laughs as I can because I like to hear laughter. That's <laughs> <laughs> fun, isn't it? You kind of know what that's like, right? Yeah. But they usually have a point and they're usually building a theme. It, it's like a one-man show. I was about to say, a, that's a one-man yeah. show. Yeah. yeah. That's, I'm, I'm hoping someday I can get to that point because, like, uh, um, like Jimmy said, I'm trying to make my science talks more like my comedy yeah. It's not hard. Maybe my comedy more like my science, but it's I think not more that hard, dude. Around. You just need seven Emmys, a couple Golden Globes, throw in an Oscar. <laughs> it's really not that hard. Well, I think um, <clears throat> like it's easier to just say, okay, I'm giving a lecture, and then it's easier for the audience to laugh because they're not expecting you to be funny. Yes. Whereas yep. you go up as a stand-up comedian, people are like, okay, you better make me laugh. Yeah, and right. it's, it's a funny. different Yeah, and there's a lot of expectation. Also, yeah. I think it's required or expected or it's the norm in any case, in a comedy club, when you get up, you're expected to do rat-a-tat mm -hmm. delivery. The jokes have a joke um, structure. When you tell stories, it can be more, less comedy and more humor. It can be the revelation of character, uh, right. the recognition of how things go wrong. It's, there, I don't know. I may, I may be. I may be stepping on your toes here. I don't know. When you tell stories about your family, are they jokey or are they more storytelling? No, they're they're jokes. But I mean, one of my biggest problems I'm trying to get over is I'm used to dead time that you're allowed in a talk that you can't uh, do yeah, in comedy. It's tough. So I've been just yesterday. I was looking over one of my reels I was sending to somebody, and I was like. 
I'm it's just compared to other comedians, I'm sitting there expect you know, calm on stage instead of like keeping the, the notion you know, Woody pop, pop. Allen used to say uh, I read in a book once that he said he established a rhythm with the audience and they could expect a laugh every certain number of seconds. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And if he didn't keep that going, he was liable to lose them. Right. Mm. And that's the pressure. See, and you don't yeah. have to do that if you're telling stories because you're getting their involvement in another way. Right. All right. right. It's not necessarily a bad thing because I think with a lot of newer comics, they feel like it has to be joke, 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 Ooh. and no silence at all. So you got to learn how to get through the silence and the audience are still with you and pull them in with the silence because a lot of punchlines come from the silence, you know? Yeah, so, so the contrast of yeah. silence and then pop. Yeah, for you, maybe it's on the other side of the spectrum, but, you know, it, it's, 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 you got to find <laughs> the medium. No, I'm not making, I'm not making <laughs> fun of Kevin. There's a lot more silence. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's true. Louis is great at that. He'll, yeah. he'll pause, and then he'll kind of, like, he'll just kind of giggle a little, and then that's the And then talk about rather. stepping on babies, and then we all laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and a lot of great comics like Louis and Burr and these guys these days, it sounds like they're telling a story. Yeah. But really, there's, like, a, a, like a crazy amount of punchlines in, in there. Yeah. That, you know, as the audience, you're like, oh, I can do this. I can just go up and rant for 30 minutes. But they've crafted that for like 10 years, just right. that bit. There you are know? differences regionally, I think. I've, I, I've listened for a while to comics from the South, mm. uh, redneck comics, I think, on Sirius. I think that's what they call them. Are you a redneck comic? <laughs> yeah. No, but I'm from the South. And some no, he is. So I, I would be surprised to hear long stories that once in a while would have a chuckle and then build after two or three minutes to a big punchline. They wouldn't, they, the rhythm was completely different. Do you, does that sound familiar to you? This, Southerners are more storytellers. Uh, you know, New York people would tell more jokes. Um, so yeah, regionally it's gonna be different. Regionally, I don't think the natives of the West Coast are that funny, that's, that's harsh. So <laughs> anyone listening might you know, be like, wait a minute, buddy. But, I think, you know, New Yorkers are naturally funny. East Coasters are naturally funny. And then Southerners are good storytellers. So each region, that's a good point, each region's different. And I think it's that Irish heritage where the storytelling uh, comes yes, from. Yes, yeah, yeah. The, the people who are the worst audiences are rich people. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. You that's... tell them something funny, and they, they just stare at you because they're thinking, <laughs> I can buy that. <laughs> The worst shows are the corporate shows. It pays a lot, but like oh, yeah. they don't oh, laugh. I never did know? anything like that. It's, What's that like? So it's basically you you <laughs> try to do the same material, but you try to do it clean, or you don't know, take right. out some of the dirty stuff. And the people are sitting next to their bosses, and the bosses don't want to laugh, you know. And then they're looking <laughs> over to their bosses. They just don't want to get fired. Because you That's get too vulnerable thing. when you laugh. You know, it's it's exactly. you let down your guard when you laugh, so the bosses won't laugh, right? Yeah, and and one of the things I mean, they say in the comedy club, one of the things that's important is that light has to be super bright on the comedian and has to be very dark on the audience yeah so they don't f- feel self-conscious about laughing right. yeah and all these corporate shows some banquet hall they don't care it's lit up in two in the afternoon yeah. you can get like not a single laugh but then somebody will book you the next year because they're like yeah you did a good job oh, yeah. you're like really you want to you want to pay me again are you sure about this it, it's a very awkward endeavor but you That's can pay cool. way more than like a comedy club yeah, so actually, uh, our our co our co-host Owen Benjamin is on. He had to do a corporate gig today, but today. he really wanted to come he's meet angry. you, and he's really hard to impress because he knows a lot of celebrities. But he's, he was particularly he, uh, really looks up to you, and he was well, tell he's him, cussing thank you, like Pete it. from Pete and Horace. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what about Pete? And Horace? He was angry; he couldn't be here, so he sounded oh. like Pete. He was so angry with cussing. <laughs> I started cursing. He said, "I can't believe I can't be here. I feel like a piss ant." He didn't say. <laughs> he, he has a newborn baby, but he strongly considered abandoning that baby to come here today. That's, yeah, <laughs> he, he really. You were talking about the cadence, kind of the the flow of, of storytelling versus joke telling, and I always tell jokes and have a certain rhythm and expect. Yeah, yeah. And it was scary for me to start telling stories on stage recently. I got I got recently robbed at gunpoint in Mexico. Oh. They stole my phone, wallet, cash, keys. You did? And pass, yeah, and passport. And you got beat in the face? This is so, not a good yeah, thing. And then I got somebody who broke my nose for jokingly wearing a Donald Trump hat like weeks before. My life's just been a train Wait, that was before you even went to Mexico? Yeah. Yeah. You see, in Mexico, they wouldn't. No, in Mexico, there, there's no connection there. I know where that had in Mexico. <laughs> and and I, got, I got robbed at gunpoint in my perspective on life now. I tell a story. And, 
And I, I was expecting, you know, there's not going to be as many laughs, but it's going to be more like they're into the story and they're more inspired. So it was a different reaction telling a story versus telling my material or jokes. And um, it's kind of fun. It's almost like a different art form. And you can find places that are funny along the way. Right. You have little kind of points along the way. It's not pow, 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 pow. It's, yeah. you know, longer pauses and more, you know, I think it's more. And it, there's a different, that sometimes there's even even telling jokes, even even stand-up. Uh, God, I've seen, starting from when I was 9 and 10 years old, my father would take me to nightclubs and I'd see comics and the, there were people who only told stories. Mm-hmm. But there were other people who would be funny. They were out there to be funny. But it was more that they were playing a character. And the way that character thought and saw things and processed the world, that was what was funny. And that's not, that's not wordplay or it's not ba-ba-boom, you know. That kind right. Of stuff. Around what? <coughs> oh, Jesus, Kevin. We'll cut it up. <coughs> Yeah, right. I think you should, no, I'm not. No, you should leave that in. That was really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're bit, leaving it in now. A bit of real life. Yeah. <laughs> Around what time was that comedy era that you were just talking about? The 40s and 50s. Wow. So that was really before. Did they call a stand-up back then, or was it just kind of like a variety show? I don't think like it was called stand-up. Uh, it was just a comedian. Morty Saul. This is before. Oh, before that. Before this Lenny. This was like um, um, uh, Danny Thomas. And a wonderful uh, guy who had been in, I can't remember his name, he had been in the uh, garment center, and they would always tell funny stories to get the ball rolling when they were going to make a sale. Uh And he got so good at it, he just performed for a living. And he was very well known, and he just told long stories that were interesting to listen to and had a chuckle along the way, but then had a punchline. A huge punchline? Not so huge, but he looked nice. <laughs> so uh, maybe you can help me with this problem. I've been when I try and sprinkle jokes into my science talks, a lot of people aren't expecting it because a lot of comedy is about expectation and that being fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of times, if I try and joke during a ser- serious uh, talk, I just get this like blank look from everybody <laughs> because it just they, they're trying to like they think I said some complicated science mm. thing so how did Richard Feynman do it he used to be very I was told that he um, would carefully craft his jokes and time them put them in in the right spot and have you watched any of his yeah. lectures to see how he did it yeah I have and he's that's something I strive to be more like that you yeah. did a really good style, uh, style for that. And I forgot, one of, the, of course, one of your credits that's very important related to the show is that you played Richard Feynman in uh, play QED. QED, yeah, yeah. I loved that. I had a wonderful time doing it. And the people here at Caltech were very generous to me as we were getting ready to do the show where they, I would sit with Kip, Kip Thorne under a tree for hours and he'd explain gluon tubes to me. and. <laughs> No, I, and it, they were very generous, and um, I, I, I learned enough to be able to be Feynman on the stage and not wonder what I was saying. Yeah, the process of becoming Feynman, how much did you have to learn in order to feel comfortable playing this, um, like, you know, incredible scientist? Yeah, was that method acting? Well, I, I had to understand, I had to understand it enough that I wasn't faking, that when I drew a diagram on the blackboard, and there was a surprising amount of science in the show, mm-hmm. and the audience was very accepting of it. They didn't they didn't say, "Well, what's what are they wasting my time here for?" Because the writer Peter Parnell chose those moments where Feynman was at his most um, entertaining and engaging when he talked about science. And it, I I had to I had to work to understand what what I did, but I, you know I. I still don't understand. There are basic things about quantum physics that just aren't in our regular everyday life. They, mm-hmm. don't, they don't make intuitive sense. One of my favorite captions under a diagram in one of Feynman's books is, this is a picture, roughly speaking, he says, this is a picture of a positron which, of course, is an electron going back in time. <laughs> what? 
<laughs> of course, yeah. yeah. I love the of course. <laughs> Duh. He, he must have been joking when he said of course. No, no have, it's a really good description. Yeah, but you need to say of course. <laughs> the of course means schmuck. You don't know. You've never heard this <laughs> Well, what's great about it is we have to mention the electron dipole moment or uh, the electric dipole moment. EDM. The, the EDM. The EDM <laughs> of the electron describes to what extent it's not an electron going back in time. That's one of the reasons oh, we're no trying kidding. to measure Look, see how this interview has a theme? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't this great that we touched back on things that happened? To uh, so go into that more. Well, so <laughs> in, quantum, uh, in quantum electrodynamics, the QED, what the, the, um, the play was named for, although it also means thus it's proven, so it's a yeah. nice little pun. Um, uh, so that in QED, you really can describe mathematically as an electron going backwards in time where it's uh, flipped in a mirror. So its charge behaves just the opposite because it's going backwards. And he, Feynman wrote this theory out by drawing these little diagrams that help you do the computations. And in the computations, you draw an arrow of an electron going back in time, and that's how you know that it's a positron. And th then you can, from there, you can rotate them into into 3D space, and that's one kind of uh, scattering. So like two electrons scattering off each other, that means that they, they feel each other's electric charge and they repel. That diagram looks the same as having an electron and a positron collide and annihilate and turn into another electron-positron. And that's the, what's so nice about doing those drawings is that time just is sort of like a detail of what axis it is depending on how the observers are trying to figure out the problem. So where does EDM? Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah, I should have said of course. So where does EDM come into this? So, ED, so EDM is, uh, so the one thing, if, you, if the electron has an electric dipole moment, that means if it is a tiny amount of more negative charge on one side and more positive charge on the oh, other side. Oh, I didn't know. Electrons can be a little bit positive and a little bit... Well, no, the, no, the, uh, the separation of that charge. So right now we think of electrons as points. In every experiment we do, they're points. Yeah. But if there is a little bit... So atoms can have these things called electric dipole moments where the nucleus of the atom goes slightly to one side and the, the atomic cloud goes slightly to the other so that... If you were to, it's sort of like the way, you know, so magnets it's not, It sounds like you're saying it's not fully positive or negative, that well, it's mostly uh, positive. Is that, am I yeah, getting no, it wrong? Still, it, it would still add up. Or glass half empty kind of electric. <laughs> it would yeah. still add up to the same amount of charge. It's just that there, as you get very, very close, that charge is distributed slightly. Is this like, like a phase transition? No, it's just that it has some structure. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you lost me there. Right. I'm not on the same page down anymore. Yeah, you, when you're totally at sea, you got to say something. So what? So what? You, <laughs> totally so what, what it just means the charge isn't a point. It's of not course. a point. point. Yeah, but if you do that, then this idea of flipping it backwards, because you've changed the, the shape of it, um, when you look at it in a mirror, that distribution doesn't look reversed anymore. And so there's something wrong with that model if it has an electric dipole moment. And we think right now that there probably is a, uh, some difference between matter and antimatter going backward in time. There's a part where that model breaks down because we're all made of matter. And so we know there must be some accounting for that imbalance between matter and antimatter that came out of the Big Bang. And so to the degree that matter looks different going backward in time is, is pretty much exactly what we're trying to find in an experiment. And right now we just don't find it with electrons. We don't find it with neutrons. We're trying to get down to the point we do. And it's hard well, to do. Well, I don't know about you, but I find this funny as hell. <laughs> yeah, <it's>, me too. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, see, now this is a great I want to know more about that. And just in that little moment where you said, it's not a point. That I when, I don't know what that means. What what is it if it's not a point? <laughs> well, it's a thing. It's a it's, it's got, a thing it's that's got, bigger than a point. Got, it's got sp some space or something. Yeah, it has a structure that's yeah. more complicated than a point. See, look. So this so, is how it works. Of course. The, Stars look like points, yeah. right? We yeah. look up on the, good. and that's... Oh, this is good. And, yeah. and for a long time, you know, <laughs> this we I can thought understand. stars were just points of light in the sky. Right. But, I you still know, do. I after that. we figured it out, well, but we eventually realized stars are this, just like the sun. And when you, we're close to the sun, so we know that it's not a point because we can see its disk on the shape, uh, you know, on the sky. And now that we have You've telescopes... You've already lost me. 
Well, the sun, no, the, the, the sun's that, a right? circle. The sun is in the sky. You got that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's I'm not sure, a point. I'm sure you guys but have if, seen it. If we were way far out, we'd look at the sun and say, look at that point. Right, exactly. And we yeah. know that somebody, well, we don't know. Hopefully somebody's looking at our sun and seeing that, just right. like that. So that's true of a lot of physics, too, is that electrons are just really, really tiny. So every experiment we do right now, we can't tell whether it's a point or if it's something very, very, very tiny. So where does it come in that it's sort of positive and sort of negative? But that's the that, what that's what I thought I heard you saying. No. So yeah, so the sort of, well, what I was talking about was the way that charge is distributed. Maybe let me talk about the neutron instead because it will make it a little easier. <laughs> yeah, then we can talk about girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the neutron has no uh, no charge, so mm -hmm. it's a little easier to understand because you don't have to worry about whether, what the total is. The total is zero, but the question is, if you were to zoom in on a neutron and put it in an electric field, would it rotate so that a little bit of the charge, a, a little bit of positive charge was on one side and a little bit of negative charge was on the other? Why would it do that if it's neutral? It's because from a distance, positive plus negative at very close to each other looks neutral from far away. So the only reason, so this would mean that if you got very, very close, and zoomed in, you'd realize that it's just a positive charge and a negative charge adding up, separated by a tiny, tiny difference. So it's, so it, is, is it stupid to say it's half positive and half negative? No, that would be a good way to look at it. Ah. And, but, but, only, but separated by an extremely tiny distance. And right so, now we know that distance is less than 10 to the uh, minus 27 centimeters. So incredibly tiny. <laughs> yeah. So... The, the, the electrons have this c capacity too. They but they should also have one too if they if that uh, this asymmetry between matter and antimatter really exists. Oh, that's great. So they little particle. So how you, now, how, now as as the as the resident person who doesn't <laughs> follow most of this, did you get some of that? Oh, of course, no. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of it. I mean, you know, I'm just you know, you when you said girls, I was like, hey, I'm going. Let's go there. Let's go there. <laughs> well, that, that's great. Thank you for doing that. I, you helped me get a little more of a glimmer. Okay, good. Yeah, that's what I'm working on. That's all we're trying to do here, just get glimmers. <laughs> but I think it's one glimmer at a time for the public, you know, and I consider myself part of the public. I, I pick up a little bit of the lingo here, a little bit there, and little by little I put it together, but I keep having to check it with people who really know because it's very easy to convince yourself that you know something that actually turns out not to be true. Uh-huh. Yeah, and sometimes it changes during the yeah, time you're yeah. trying to figure it out. <laughs> right. Uh, and we're making a lot of discoveries really fast nowadays. So, and uh, it's it's important to to try. And we were talking before about how we can help the public think more like scientists. I think it's one of the things that good communication will do is help the public understand that when science comes up with something, with some finding, some discovery, that's not the truth. That's a truth on the way to more truth. Right. Mm, mm. So that they're perfectly free six months or a year later to say, you know, we told you about how tobacco is bad for you. If, and, and this, or coffee. Coffee was supposed to be bad for you. Now uh, it's supposed to be good for you. Mm -hmm. and, and not, not too much, certain kinds, certain parts of it. So there's, it sounds like they can't make up their mind or uh. that they... <laughs> Or that they keep contradicting one another, but in fact, that's that's the way you find out what's what. Right, right, and that's the whole point of science is to check what you previously had and make you know add more truth to it. Not there's an absolute answer or an absolute. Uh, and that's what makes scientists truth. so valuable to us. They are professional skeptics. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good description. I like that. And, yeah. and I get really upset when the people who deny climate change are called skeptics. Because they're not fully not really skeptical. Skeptic, they're not yeah. skeptical about their own premises. Scientists are. The first thing, and I believe this was true of Feynman, the first thing he would attack was his own idea. Mm -hmm. And he'd work on it as if he were the enemy of the idea. That's, yeah. I still think it's amazing that you go back a few hundred years and talk about when Galileo basically denied 1,500 years of astronomy from Ptolemy. Ptolemy mm -hmm. said, this is how the universe works, this is how it's shaped. 1,500 years of that, Galileo came in and said, that's wrong. 
Yeah. Can you imagine what that would be like, even a hundred years of research now, for someone to come in and say that's wrong? Yeah, yeah. There, there's, uh, you get attached to things the longer... <laughs> Yeah. The longer the idea persists, the more you want to believe that's the absolute truth. Yeah, and it yeah. seems like the easiest way from previous guests that we've gotten that the easiest way to a Nobel Prize is proving somebody else's work is wrong. Yeah. That's, that's the Which way to do it. Which is a crazy thing yeah. to do. But not another Nobel Prize winner, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you can do I that, you just I, I, you win an they Oscar, too. Limits? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They give you an Oscar also if you can do I that. I mean, it's yeah. so <laughs> difficult, these theories, to pr- disprove someone's theory. It would be like me going in and... Factually proving you're not Asian. That would be amazing to do that. You know that what I mean? Help me a lot if you improve that. Can you, Kev? Is there something? Did you put uh, it on your, your acting reel? Yeah, so I just don't yeah. get typecasted anymore. You know, that would be nice. Um, you mentioned uh, Kip Thorne earlier. Um, talking about good acting, that guy, uh, he was on our show a day after he found out that gravitational waves had been discovered. Oh, he must and have he been managed great. to he, <laughs> he gave us a little hint, probably more than he was supposed to, but he really kept most of it in. And I didn't realize at the time, until it was announced, I didn't realize that it was the day after. Because, you know, he, he said, oh, we, we found got some new results. I can't tell you about it. But... He was just, I mean, was he, he probably was he, is going to win a Nobel Prize for that. So oh, that, was, that awesome. was amazing that and he could keep that I thought face. that he, he was quoted in, in newspapers so well as a, in explaining it. Yeah. I, thought, I thought, in fact, I heard at dinner conversations for the next month, people using his imagery, using his analogies, and it was really good. Yeah, he's exceptional at explaining stuff. I mean, he made an entire movie, you know, Interstellar, yeah. uh, basically about black holes and explained very complicated stuff to the public. And it was it was delight uh, listening. Like, I, I got engaged a lot with um, people at Scientific American and people on Twitter because a lot of people, he was my professor of uh, general relativity, so a lot of people were saying, oh, that, that doesn't make any sense. That's not possible. And... I was, and really smart people were saying that because they just didn't realize the details of. You're talking about the gravity waves? uh, No, 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 interstellar. Interstellar, yeah. Yeah. Um, And so, I mean, a lot of it is because he was such a, uh, he was so good at explaining that I had, you know, I'd gotten this stuff explained to me early on. He's a very generous person. Yeah. As a person, I'm I'm very fond of him. Yeah, you both are because you're both on this show. (laughs) (laughs) This is a test. Patreon for Shirley Joking. I'd really appreciate it if you're a fan of the show or even if you're not, but you listen anyway, please go to patreon.com slash SYJ. Donate whatever you can, a dollar or 10 cents. Um, If you make it recurring, even better. Really appreciate this. Can I ask like more acting questions? Is that cool here in the science cast? Well, yeah, we, we confused them enough with the science. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I was lost a long time ago. It's like it's like now there's all these different media outlets, right? Like you got Hulu, you got all these, you got a hundred different shows, thousands maybe even. But like back in the day with MASH, it was like one of the only shows that was on TV. Well, there were only three networks when we yeah. started. So was it um, like to become, uh, to decide to become an actor back then, it was a lot harder than to do it now because now there's thousands of jobs out there whereas back then there's only like 10. oh yeah that's true there were there it was at in a period when there were no more summer stock theaters or very few uh, when i first started there were a few summer stock theaters so you could get training there but after a while they disappeared and Getting work on television, you're right, there wasn't much work, and there were thousands of actors trying to get work. Now things are opening up, and people can start their own website, their own YouTube channel. Their own podcast? Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, things are so much different. I always wonder for actors and versus... I think it's a lot easier for us now. We could just get emails saying, hey, here's an audition in this uh, location and this time. Just show up. How did you guys get notified in the process of handing out headshots? I feel like that was all probably a work I used to harder. walk around the streets of New York with um, an envelope full of my 8x10s. Really? <laughs> I'd actually drop in on casting directors' offices, and I'd say to the uh, secretary, they were secretaries in those days, I'd say, uh, is there anything today? <laughs> and she'd say, no, there's nothing today. Wow. How and was I, the casting process for MASH? Was it, did you have well, to go I, through they, I, I was, my work was already known a little bit. 
So mm. I didn't, I wasn't asked to audition. So I don't know what they did. I guess they had people in to read. I don't know. Well, it seems like, I mean, I don't know because I'm not famous, but it seems like nowadays fame doesn't get you apart necessarily that much anymore. Like, I've heard stories of people who were really perfect for a part, but they still had to go through aud the audition process. And yeah. Even, I don't know. His fame got us apart on this podcast, so it's working <laughs> right now. There's an old story that uh, I read when I was a kid of an actor, and it's supposed to have really happened. The actor's sitting in his agent's office, and he says, why don't you put me up for that part? And the agent says, no, it's, it's not for you. It's for a bald guy. And the actor says, wait, I'm bald. Look. And he takes off his toupee. <laughs> and the agent says, I don't see you as bald. <laughs> How have you seen, like, do you like kind of like the change in TV and all the media is out there now? Or is it, um, do I think, you think it's, it's really interesting. It I mean, we're seeing in such a, <clears throat> Pardon me. We're seeing in such a short time frame, we went from what we were talking about the three, uh, networks, three networks. Yeah. Then there were more networks. Then there was cable that really challenged network and networks, and you had to, you got a chance to do more interesting work on cable. And then it got broadened to the internet, and now there's this other change that Louis C.K. is championing, which is. He, on the internet, not not using the big behemoths like Netflix or Amazon, but doing it himself. Yeah, just putting it on the website. That's yeah. a big change, and that that could grow into something totally unexpected. There's, I think there's no way to know what that'll become. I think it's really exciting. That that Revolutionary. Yeah, but he's, he wasn't even. I don't think it's going even through a service like YouTube. Or no, something. it's his web. It's you have to right go. There. You have yeah. to go to louisck.net. It's the only way you can see the show. Right. And uh, you can even pay in Bitcoin. You have to be a little sophisticated. I mean, a lot of people don't know from PayPal. You can oh. pay by PayPal or Bitcoin or this other one I never heard of <laughs> that's like Bitcoin. It's like uh, shmush, shmush money. I don't know. <laughs> oh, money. yeah. What yeah. is it? I don't know. What I, it's I don't called. remember. I know what you're yeah. talking about. It's yeah. like Dogecoin. There's just like a ton of those exchanges out there now, right? Yeah. Yeah, for anyone listening, you models. have to watch the show just for Alan's character alone. I, I watched the show, and I don't get me wrong, I love Steve Buscemi, I love Louis C.K., I love all the other actors, Nick DiPaolo, they're all great. But I'm just listening to them, like the whole crew is just straight men waiting for the real comedian to come in. And that's you every time. I'm like, all right, Louis, here you go, set it up, and let's no, set it up, Steve. That's, that's way too flattering. But you've you got to mention Edie Falco. When you, I don't oh know if you've God, seen... Yeah episode 10 yet unbelievable performance she's fantastic and i think it's in episode four when laurie metcalf does this long monologue it's one of the best things i've ever seen so i haven't been able to get very far through it because to be honest i didn't find out about it until until last I night told, not last <laughs> no, no, before that before i told somebody when i found out that you were going to be on it for sure i was extremely excited so i told somebody like oh yeah he's great on horse and pete and i had not heard of that well, at all and i follow louis ck and i still hadn't yeah, heard of it well that, that so, louis was really successful at keeping it a secret now that now it'd be better not so now secret. he's now he has told us all it's okay to talk about it yeah and he's going to go promote it because it's but, so good it deserves a lot of awards it's but i think that might be a side effect of it being in this new format because that new format is harder to, to access for a lot of yeah. people so that's one of the things that'd be really nice is if uh you know people who are going to start doing this we have to also figure out a way to to make people find out about it yeah you, you, you shouldn't know, like, have to know how to manipulate your browser to right. get to it. You know, and there are a lot of people who would enjoy it who don't know how to do that. But there's a, there's a weird uh, friendliness and warmth that comes from the fact that it's just through this that thing. That it's, it's special. Like it's, yeah, you're like in on a secret. You know, it's, it feels mm -hmm. a lot like, you know, going to see a play where, you know, you, a play isn't vastly, you know, nobody in the whole country comes to one play. Yeah. So it feels, this, it feels personal to, to see it. But... Still, it, it, we need to figure out how to advertise Well, it. it's going to revive the whole notion of watching a play. You know, yeah. most of the country doesn't watch plays. In fact, I did a play, a straight play, not a musical comedy, by Neil Simon on Broadway. And one day we had high school kids come watch the show. Mm. And we did questions and answers afterwards. And this 15-year-old girl said, uh, can I ask you, 
When you were getting ready to do this, did it bother you that there weren't any songs to keep people interested? Oh, oh my God. <laughs> should have put in EDM music. Oh, you should have said, oh, we don't serve mixed drinks around here. <laughs> that's, that's it. Do so you, maybe people will be used to plays again. Oh, you, sorry, what? No, I'm sorry. I was just going to ask, do you prefer plays or uh, television or film? Is there a medium? I'm most comfortable on the stage. Oh, wow. Which is one reason I had a great time with Louie, because we shot it like a play. You know, we didn't shoot it shot by shot. Mm -hmm, we would mm -hmm. do 15, 20 minute takes. Wow. But not in front of an audience, though. No, that's, no yeah. audience. No. Nobody did. Yeah, that's, that's so different. Yeah, and what happens is you get into a state of mind where it's up to you. You have final cut during those 15 or 20 minutes. You don't do it line by line or moment by moment and you you know that the other person is on camera while you're on camera because when you shoot a a, a, a piece like a, as a movie sometimes in a close-up the camera is over your shoulder or behind you or in front of you and th the person on camera is acting with you but really for the camera mm -hmm. and you're not really as involved with them or in the same way, you're not involved in the same way as you would be if you were both on camera at the same time. But when on the stage, everybody's on camera and you have to toss the focus back and forth among one another. It's, it's, like a, it's a little bit like a ball game. And, you, and there's a completely different social dynamic and it brings stuff out of you, changes your focus and your concentration. It's just you and them, that together you're making this happen. You're pulling it up out of your memory, and you're also responding to what's really happening in that moment between the two of you. That's why I love improvisation so much, because mm -hmm. it trains you to do that. So do you, uh, when you're doing a show like this, do you miss the audience component? No, to us, what we're doing here now? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you mean Louis? Do I do Louis? <laughs> when, when, yeah, when you're doing the horse. No, I, no, no. As a matter of fact, Although um, MASH didn't have an audience. So. No, it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes, you know, when you're rehearsing a comedy and you're rehearsing it well, I did a, a play that was a beautiful play called Art, and just three actors in it. And we rehearsed that really well in that we just worried about what was going on between us, not what was supposed to be funny. Mm. And there, when you do that, there's this wonderful, amazing moment when you get in front of an audience and they keep stopping you with laughter and you think, what the hell are they laughing at? <laughs> <laughs> it's so much better than knowing where the funny parts are. <laughs> I mean, you learn after a couple of performances and uh -huh. you, you, you give them a chance. But you still have that original, pure instinct to not play for laughs, but to play the, the reality of it. Mm -hmm. So how do you um, stay in the moment at that at that time when you know you kind of you know gauging the laughter? I mean, after a few yeah. times, like knowing that you got to wait to, but then also be in the moment with the other actors. You know, I think it's uh, partly being aware of several things at the same time. Part of me in a moment like that is busy justifying why I'm not talking while they're laughing, mm. so I'm not just standing still and going dead. Part of me is judging where they are in their laughter, where they are in the amplitude of their laugh. Is it, has it crested? Is it coming down? Is this the moment to come in with the next line? Because if you time it right, as you same thing with stand-up, I'm sure, if you time it right, you can get a laugh to be promoted into three or four laughs. Yeah, mm -hmm. tags. And yeah. There are, you also learn the times when you don't want to take a laugh that's a small laugh. My father was father was a straight man in burlesque when he began and then he became a movie star and he taught me when I was a kid we would do Abbott and Costello routines together he said that may be too small a laugh to take don't 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 let them laugh there because save it for the big laugh that's coming up because if you take too many small laughs, the big laugh gets diluted, right? Wow. You must experience that, uh, too. So, so you go right after, right you, into you, the laugh. You, you don't wait for it. You, you, don't, you, you don't, yeah, you, you talk over. You don't let them. You don't give them a chance. There wow. Were, you know, one of the wonderful things I learned as a young actor was how to stop a laugh, how to kill a laugh, how not to let them, even though they might have an impulse, but that you build up the pressure a little bit. There, there's the impulse to laugh. 
you make them hold it back. Then when they when they get to the big one, they let it out, and there's more to let out. Wow. So, so now you're, you're totally talking about the way I feel about doing comedy, because I treat it very <laughs> yeah. much like experimental physics. Kevin is oh, probably going to laugh. That, that's what he does. <laughs> Just naturally. He Ex- loves yeah. the silence. Yeah. That's his Explain style. that. What do you mean? Well, so for me, I mean, there's things I think are funny, but, you know, every comedian knows what you think is funny is not necessarily what 90% of the world thinks is funny. So a lot of times it's just experimentation, in particular on how long it takes for a laugh to come out. So I've had some jokes that I've tried lots of times, and then I was like, I don't understand why this isn't funny. So I was thinking, well, I won't do it. But, you know, a couple times I would just try it longer. And some of it was like that, thinking of it as like just a, a thing that has to, to be released at a certain time. Mm-hmm. And so I've run across jokes that turns out they're actually some of my best jokes that I just wasn't letting it sink in long enough. So, oh, so for me, I was always yeah. like, well, you already understand mm-hmm. the joke mm-hmm. 100% here, so it's not working. I'll move on. And then I realized I just had to stand there and, and that would work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm so, most of my problem is that I'm always standing there, <laughs> not going fast enough. So I really thought it with that one. But it turns out that was, you know, with some of them, there's some experimentation to go on there. And so, um, you know, the more stage time I get, the more I get to practice. Uh, I've seen I've seen you experience silence a few times <laughs> on a, a bar show that I used to run. And he would start telling you he'd totally forget what he was going to say. And he'd look at the audience and go, just long pauses where it'd get uncomfortable, <laughs> and it would get so uncomfortable that it made me comfortable again. And it was just like he'd be, I don't remember what I was going to say. Griff's going to kill me. I'm like these are things you keep in your head, but now you let the audience hear it out loud. And it's a weird thing, comedy. We love watching our friends fail. We love it. It's so much fun. It's a weird thing that we do. Yeah, we don't yeah, laugh maybe at you actual to develop jokes a saver where you pull your pull something out of your pocket and start going over it. No, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. That would be a good move for you for pacing yeah, and stuff. Pull a magic trick out sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Two rings. I right, now it's one. This bar show was giving out. Uh, very cheap shots all day. Now, this so. was multiple times. Don't blame them. <laughs> <laughs> they're supposed to laugh more when they're drunk. Uh, they were passed Yeah, out. Kevin. They were passed <laughs> out. Woody Allen, I, drunk, I read, I read Woody Allen used to do a joke about his grandfather's watch, and he would take out the watch and talk about the watch and get the laugh. But the real purpose of the joke was to see how much time he had been on stage. Oh. <laughs> so you can cover all kinds of stuff depending on how you organize it. Very cool. That's Kevin, true. are you writing this down? Yeah, um, yeah. pull your phone out when you forget your jokes and have a joke about your phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah he's speaking. making fun of me because I have a joke about my phone. Well, no, that's good. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, I, I Normally it's my closer, but now I'm going to put it in the middle. Because I can use it just like that. Go back to it. Yeah. (laughs) One time I had like a audition, commercial audition for like Verizon or something. It's just a super long script. Nobody can remember. So then I just pulled my phone out as a prop, but I had the PDF pulled up on the phone. I was just reading off of it. (laughs) And I was the only one that can say the lines because everybody else was trying to remember it. And I ended up getting the role because they thought I was a genius. (laughs) 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 Really? I was just cheating. It's great. Didn't Didn't they know you were reading it? They, I don't think they cared, but on camera, you know, the cast oh, director was there, yeah, but they sent yeah. the tape out to the producers or whatever, yeah. to the agencies, and uh, they liked it, apparently. So it oh, really that's got, great. But it got canceled really oh. quick. So, it doesn't, <laughs> so apparently, they, they caught me. So with, um, oh man, uh, can I just follow up with like what you said with the, the, the stage, the acting thing? So basically, half of you have to be the actor, knowing the laughter and stuff like that, yeah. be the stage um actor and the half of you is the character trying to justify it it's even that, more right? than half and half you there are many many things you got to keep on, on mind yet yeah, part of you is noticing that the edge of the stage is two feet away and you don't want to fall off that's true and when you're acting in a, in a movie part of you has to know where the mark on the floor is and you can't look down at it you got to know where it is and that and you have to get out of the other person's light you yeah have to get into your own light you have to find you get all kinds of things you have to be aware of at the same time, and the, the part of getting good is taking them all in stride and not being, you know, flummoxed by any any one mm-hmm. of them, and not putting too much attention on it. If you're putting all your attention on the audience, and not on who you are and what you want, and how you're getting it through the the, the dialogue of the scene, 
if you not don't have that foremost in your mind, then then it's not going to work out so well. So what about like the method actors, the one that goes like full like Daniel Day Lewis, that just like only call me this when I'm on here and like don't let me see the camera. Like does that kind of <laughs> does that get kind of you know? He's a lovely guy by the way and very mm-hmm. serious and comes up with great performances. But mm-hmm. when he was doing Lincoln, I heard that he wanted everybody to talk to him. And called him Mr. Lincoln when they talked to yeah, him. Yeah, or Mr. President or yeah. something. Yeah. So one actor, I forget which actor, went up to him and said, Mr. Lincoln, I just want you to know I thought you were great in my left foot. <laughs> <laughs> Professor Alan Alda, thank you very much for being on our show today. Um, we're we're going to be wrapping up. Um, also, wanted, I forgot to plug uh, one of your most recent books, Things I Overheard While Talking to Myself. Oh, thanks. I'm really enjoying reading this. <laughs> Um, are you working on any new books? I'm working up? on a new book, but I can't tell you about it because uh, I have to save that for when it's about to come out. Oh, okay. Maybe well, we I can hope, talk again then. Yeah, you hopefully you can on his website. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you have any other projects that you want us to tell us? Oh, Horace and Pete, your, your main No, I'm, I just love talking about Horace and Pete now because I'm so <laughs> excited that it, that it happened. He yeah, did such a amazing. brilliant thing. I love it. Um, all right, do you... Guys, have anything? Sure, uh, Jimmy O Yang, Doctor Jimmy O Yang here. Um, once <laughs> sorry, no, no, I'm not. A thank you, thank you. Uh, yeah, well, Silicon Valley's coming out in uh, in three weeks, April 24th. So make sure you guys watch that. And uh, yeah, yeah. If uh, if you're around this weekend in Santa Clarita, I'm performing in the Big Fire Comedy Festival. So if you like camping, drinking beer, or laughing, come check it out. It's gonna be awesome. That looks really exciting. Yeah. All right, thank you very thank much. Thank you guys. It was fun so much to be with you. Thank you. Thank you.